everyone. Uh, Liz Bohannon spoke at the Global Leadership Summit that we hosted at Grace a few weeks ago. And in her talk, she referenced some new data on an old problem. The Surgeon General of the United States recently issued an 80-page resource naming this condition as the single greatest public health threat in America. It's more dangerous to your physical health than obesity, than diabetes, than smoking 15 cigarettes per day. You know what the condition is called? It's called loneliness. Now, we all know about loneliness, we've all felt it from time to time, but loneliness has become downright epidemic in our culture. Loneliness is the painful state that arises when we don't have the intimate, connected relationships that support system and support systems that we need to thrive. And here's the crazy thing. Tons of people are lonely, but no one wants to admit it. Only 20% of people who are lonely are willing to fess up to it. But, but when asked privately, over 58% of people say that they're lonely. The highest rate by far of all groups is our young people, who 78% say that they're lonely. And the problem is worse in America. Really, most other places in the world are not reporting these kinds of numbers because, frankly, many other places in the world still value good old-fashioned community. And certainly COVID exacerbated the problem, but this was coming long before COVID. Over the past 10 years, it's as if we've re-architected our whole society around doing life alone. Online shopping, Instacarts, remote work. And no one has to even leave their homes for anything anymore. And when people do come out of their homes, their faces are buried in their phones. And so over the last 10 years, there have been a massive increase in the time that people are spending alone. You can see on this chart from the Washington Post that prior to 2013, the time people spent with friends each week was pretty steady at six and a half hours per week. But since then, the time spent with friends has gone dramatically down and the time spent alone has gone dramatically up. And these trends are consistent among all different types of people, men and women, white and black and brown, rich and poor, urban and rural, married and unmarried, parents and non-parents. They all saw proportionally similar declines in time spent with other people. But again, young people are hit the hardest. The decline among 15 to 19 year olds is staggering. Last year, compared to 2013, for example, the average American teenager spent approximately 11 fewer hours with friends each week. That's a 64% decline and 12 additional hours alone each week, a 48% increase, dramatically more time alone. And this has led to more loneliness. And I want to say two things about this research today. First of all, you're not alone in feeling alone. Like if you hear those numbers and you resonate and you're like, yeah, that's me, it's not just you. But the flip side is that you weren't made for loneliness. You were created to connect with other people. God himself placed you within a, uh, placed within you a deep yearning for true community, a God-given longing for honest and authentic connection with people, a longing to belong. And the truth is none of us can fulfill God's purposes by ourselves. The Bible knows nothing of solitary saints. It knows nothing of spiritual hermits who, who are isolated from other believers and deprived of community. The Bible says that we are put together. We're joined together. We're built together. We're members together. We're heirs together. We're fitted together. We're held together. We will be caught up together because we were made to belong together. And so we're in week three of this series called Growing Our Church Family. And we've been saying that when you're born, you're born into a family. No one can be born without a mother and a father and a family. But when you're born again, you're born into kind of a second family, the church. 
The first miracle is your salvation, your spiritual rebirth. But the second miracle is that God places you in a spiritual family. And so last week we talked about the importance of being devoted to this spiritual family that we are part of. And this week I wanna underline the importance of being connected within your church family. Last week we said that you must be devoted to circles and not just rows. And this week's big idea says it this way. Christianity is not just what you believe, but where you belong. See, we make a huge mistake when we assume that Christianity is simply a mental checklist of doctrines. Like if I can check all these boxes, then I'm in. Well, our text today is in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. You can turn there while I give you a little bit of background. But Hebrews has something to say about this. Now, this may be the most Jewish book in the whole New Testament. It is filled with just tons of references to the Old Testament and to the practices of God's people, the Israelites. It talks about the sacrificial system and the high priestly policies and the temple traditions. So, so Hebrews was written to a church made up mostly of Jewish people who were under some persecution for joining this upstart little religion called Christianity. And many of them were considering leaving this new faith and going back to Judaism. And so that's why so often the author of Hebrews is saying things like, Jesus is greater than all that. He's greater than the law. He's greater than the high priest. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the angels. He's saying, Jesus is better. And so hang in there, guys. Well, the whole book becomes kind of an urging and a convincing of how not to fall away. And just bring, bringing it to present, like some of you may be in danger of falling away from your faith even today. I think we all are from time to time. So you begin to question things. You're tempted maybe back toward an old way of life, maybe an old way of thinking or an old relationship. And you wonder if this Christian life is really worth it for you. Well, in our passage today, the author gets very practical, and he tells this early church, and I think he tells us, how to avoid falling away. And he underlines that Christianity is not just about what you believe. It's not just about making sure that you line up doctrinally with all the right things. Now, trust me, it's, it's very important what you believe. Re- remember what we learned from the Apostles' Creed in June. Don't throw any of that out. But you can't live on just a creed. You must connect yourself to others who also live by that same creed. As our big idea says, you're not just called to believing, but belonging. And one of the antidotes to falling away from Christ is connecting in Christian community. And so I want you to look at what our passage says in Hebrews 10, starting in verse 24. It says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, let me start today with the middle section, okay? He says, don't neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Now, this helps us to understand that the first step in belonging is making your group gathering a priority, gathering with other believers. Again, can we just acknowledge that in our society, we're being lulled into a kind of isolationism that leads to loneliness. And we can convince ourselves that we like it better and that it's much easier to to just never leave the house. And this is a lie from the pit of hell. The author of Hebrews insinuates that some people got into the habit of abandoning their gatherings with other Christians. It's a false idea that creeps into the minds of some who think, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm strong enough to go it alone. Like, I can pull off this faith thing myself. No, you cannot. You simply can't. You weren't made to. 
And when you withdraw from the collective strength of other Christians, you court disaster in your life. It's like a a soldier who lags behind the rest of his platoon. Like you don't want to be caught out there behind enemy lines alone. We need each other. And so he says, prioritize your gathering together. Some of our life groups at Grace meet weekly. Some meet every other week. And when that time comes for your group to gather, don't neglect meeting together. Make your spiritual life a priority in your schedule. Like any other discipline, there are going to be times when you don't feel like doing it. I heard someone say years ago that if your kids look to you on Sunday morning and ask, are we going to church today? You've already lost. They should know that you're going to church. They should know that it's a non-negotiable, that it's a top priority. Well, the same goes for your group. Now, I'm not saying that you can never miss a night or take a vacation or go out of town or whatever. Of course, that stuff comes up. I'm just saying that if becoming more and more like Jesus is the thing that you were created for, it's the thing that you were saved for, it's the thing that you were destined for, for for all eternity, then the environments that help you to achieve that goal better skyrocket to the top of your priority list. James Clear in his book Atomic Habits says that every small action you take is casting a vote for the kind of person you want to be. And so just like every push-up that you do casts a vote for becoming a healthy person, every life group gathering casts a vote for becoming more like Jesus. And so I want to challenge you today to level up in your gathering with with other believers. It's just so foundational to your your faith pursuits. So so what if you took the challenge and just said, I'm going to make Sundays a priority. I'm going to make every quarterly worship night a priority. I'm going to make life group a priority. And I'm going to make coffee with an older, younger Christian a priority. Make a gathering with other believers a priority. Don't neglect meeting together. So now, now there's that middle sentence. Don't neglect meeting together. It's bookended on either side by a couple of phrases that I want to spend the rest of our time on. These phrases have to do with belonging. They have to do with what we should be doing when we meet together. And so he says in verse 24, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And then he says, encouraging one another. These are two things that happen when we truly belong together. And listen, I said it last week, but I want to reinforce it. I'm talking about life groups here as as kind of the normal outlet for this relational connection at Grace Church. But I realize that there are plenty of other ways to do this. Some of you have a Bible study group that meets at work. Some of you lead a company and, and you've designed that company to feel more like a spiritual family and you're building biblical intentionality into all that you do. Some of you gather with some other Christian friends from other churches on, on the regular and it's not an official life group or whatever. That's all good. The one thing that's not good, that's not acceptable, is to not be regularly gathering with other believers. And so he says here, stir one another up. Other translations say spur one another on or agitate or provoke or even irritate one another. The the word here is perichalasis. It's it's used more than 100 times in the New Testament. The word literally means called alongside to help or to vigorously contend for another person. And that's what Christians are supposed to do for each other. We come alongside to vigorously help and contend for one another's growth. Notice he says when this happens, two things are going to improve in your life. Your love and your good works. Anyone want to be more loving? Anyone want to do more good? Well, you need people around you to stir that stuff up because you ain't going to do it on your own. 
And, and so a good group is gonna help you to live out what you say you believe on the inside, that they're the anti-hypocrisy team. <laughs> they're making sure that your words and your actions match up. And how many of you know, we all need an anti-hypocrisy team because we tend to not live out what we say we believe. And so stir each other up. And then he says, encourage each other. These are the tools that we have at our disposal when it comes to, to chasing after God together. But these things will not happen with strangers. They will not happen with casual acquaintances. They will only happen with people that you're connected to who are gonna be comfortable enough to go there with you. And so I wanna talk today about three reasons to connect to a group from these phrases and from this text. I wanna give some credit to Larry Osborne as I was inspired by some of his thoughts on this passage. So here's the first reason. When you're connected, you're known. And so we have this deep need, we have a deep longing to be known. The Bible is very clear that you are completely and intimately known by God. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He knows the number of hairs on your head. But you also have a deep need to be known by other people. You need some folks who know you well enough that when you say, I'm fine, they can look back at you and say, cut the crap, man, you're not fine. What's going on? You see, sin thrives in anonymity. And as long as you keep people at arm's length, that there can be all kinds of junk and chaos going on in your life and nobody will ever know. But you need them to know. You say, well, no, no, I, I don't want them to know. I, I don't need anyone in my business. I'm here to tell you, you need people in your business. I promise you, there is not one of us that can do this thing alone. God didn't design us that way. And you might say, well, I, I don't want anyone judging me. Once again, contrary to popular belief, if you are a Christian, you need some other Christians to help judge your life, to help weigh your actions and your attitudes. See, see there's a, a misunderstood passage that everyone quotes about not judging people. On the contrary, it's interesting, that exact passage actually gives us a framework for how to properly judge other Christians. Matthew 7 starts with the famous line that says, judge not that you be not judged. And, and he goes on to use this perfect analogy about the log and the speck. You've probably heard it. But remember what he says. He says, don't try to remove the speck from your brother's eye when you have a big old log in your own eye. But he doesn't leave it there. He says, first remove the log and then, not leave your brother alone, then you'll be able to see clearly so you can remove the speck out of his eye. He doesn't say, just don't worry about him, just mind your own business, worry about yourself. No, he says, worry about yourself first, make sure you don't have any logs in your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly so that you can do the important work of speck removal, helping your brother, so that you can do a very delicate surgery on his eye. And that's why the analogy is so perfect, because when you're, you're judging, when you're weighing, when you're helping other believers, you have to be delicate, like it's like an eye surgery. And eye surgery assumes that you're looking very closely. It assumes that you have a detailed knowledge of that person and a close proximity to that person. It assumes permission has been given by that person. Like you don't take tweezers to someone's eye without their, their permission. But he says, make sure your stuff is dealt with and then you'll be positioned to carefully and delicately correct that other person. There's another verse in James 5, 19 and 20. It says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and somebody brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Once again, this verse assumes that we are in a close enough relationship 
that we, we know when someone begins to wander. Like, with this many people at Grace, with this huge crowd, I wouldn't know if you're wandering until you, you know, show up on a wanted poster <laughs> or you show up in my newsfeed or whatever. Because in a, a big crowd, we don't know if you've wandered until you've wandered to like West Virginia. And, and by that time, it's too late. But if you're committed to belonging within a group of loving spiritual family members, then they can observe when you're starting, just beginning to change before you go totally off the rails. People can pick up early when your attitude toward your kids is beginning to shift, when your language begins to get a little bit more coarse, or you're a little bit more frustrated when you talk about work, or when you, when you start to get all shifty when we ask about your prayer life, or, or, or that temptation toward sin, that one sin that always sneaks up on you. In a group that's connected, we can catch it all early before your whole life catches on fire. See, see, when you belong to a group like that, you've got people in your corner. You have folks watching out for you, and you're watching out for them. A friend has permission to go to you and, and pull you back to Jesus and say, man, I can see that you're wandering away, or, or let me help you with that little speck in your eye. I know, I know you can't see it, but I can see it because I struggled with that same thing before. But now I'm in a different place. I've pulled the log out, and I can see clearly. See, you have people contending with you for the faith. You need a group so that you can be known by people. Because when we stay anonymous, sin can grow and fester. We're always better at avoiding sin when we have people around who know us. We all live better when we know someone else is watching, when somebody else is checking in. You, you remember maybe when you were younger, or a junior high or whatever, when you were a teenager and you watched a movie and you happen to be sitting there, there with your parents and maybe a scene would come on that, that, that you would have been fine with if you were alone, kind of anonymously. But now that your mom and dad are sitting there watching it with you, it becomes incredibly uncomfortable, super awkward. Anybody had this experience? You think, I would do anything for the fast forward button right now. Why? Because we all live better when people are watching, when people are checking in. Let me say it this way. We need to arrange our lives so it's hard to hide. As Liz Bohannon said at the summit, loneliness is not inevitable. We need people who know us completely and who love us anyway. And so the first reason we need to connect is so that we can be known. The second reason is that when you're connected, you're supported. What did our passage in Hebrew say? It said, stir each other up. Stir each other toward love and good deeds. Encourage one another. Why? Because in order to live the Christian life effectively, we need the loving support of other people. Here's the truth. Some burdens in life are too heavy to bear on your own. You need to belong to a group of people who will support you and help you to shoulder the difficulties you'll face. There's an interesting and sometimes confusing passage in Galatians 6.2. Paul starts this section of the scripture with, with a command. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And then just three verses later, he's kind of wrapping up in verse five and he basically says, so in conclusion, each will have to bear his own load. And you're thinking, well, that doesn't make any sense. Which one is it? Do we bear each other's burdens or do I bear my own burdens? Well, there's an interesting word choice here. The first word, the, the word that's used for burden, refers to a big, heavy pack that only animals would carry. They were called beasts of burden. And it would take two or three people just to sling that big pack over the back of a donkey or a horse to carry. 
The second word used here that, that's translated load in verse five is our equivalent of like a backpack. And so this is not a contradiction. What he's saying is that some burdens are bigger than others. And the ones that are too big for you to carry on your own, that's when you need other people for support. Don't bother everyone with the small stuff. Some of that stuff you just need to toughen up and carry that alone with Christ's help. But there are some burdens that you are simply not strong enough to carry on your own. And for those, you need other people to help you. Here's the thing. No one can help you carry your heavy burdens if they don't know they exist. If you don't ask for help until you've cracked under the pressure, it's too late. I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago in my marriage sermon, but people wait way too long to get help with their marriage. Like by the time that burden comes to light, so much damage has been done that it's very hard to repair. And I know people who have refused to get into a life group, so they refuse to surround themselves with other Christians. And then when something difficult happens, they're crying out to God. And they're like, God, where are you? This burden is too heavy for me. Why have you abandoned me? And it's like God is saying, listen, my hands and feet are all around you, you in the body of Christ, but, you, but you're not turning to them because you haven't availed yourself to a group. And we think that God has let us down, and he hasn't let us down at all. We've ignored his presence that comes in the form of his people because we're, we aren't connected to them. Remember, we're one another's spiritual family, an adoptive family, and we need to create environments where it's safe enough that the, the prayer requests are, are happening on the front end and not the back end. In other words, don't wait until your first round of chemo to ask for prayers and support for your cancer. Get connected to a group that's starting to pray for healing at the first sign of a lump. And it's not just during trials and struggles that we need support. We need people who are in our corner just to urge us onward as we live the day-to-day -day Christian life. It's hard to go to work every day and represent Jesus. It's hard to maintain a Christ-like attitude when the people all around you are acting like idiots. It's hard to get off the couch and serve instead of binge the next Hulu series. It's hard to demonstrate patience when your kids are driving you crazy. The Christian life is hard all by itself. And we need people who will spur us on and encourage us in it, who will vigorously contend for our faithfulness to Jesus. And so Christians who belong to a group, they root for each other. People are for you. They believe in your God-given potential. And one of the highest of Christian duties is the duty of encouragement. It's easy to be discouraging. It's easy to be cynical. The world is full of discouragers. But we are the people of God. And we have a Christian duty to encourage one another. Many times, you, you'll never even know it, but many times a word or a phrase or a thanks or an appreciation will urge another believer to press forward for one more day. It's a powerful thing. So when you're connected, you're known. When you're connected, you're supported. Here's the third. When you're connected, you're challenged. Hebrews 10 says, stir each other up. I, I said earlier, one of the, the meanings is to irritate to, to sharply contend for someone, to make them better. And so yes, true connection creates a loving and safe environment. But according to this passage, that doesn't mean that there are goosebumps and kumbaya mo moments all the time. It means that there's also a safe place to challenge each other toward greatness. L look over at Romans 12, nine, it says, let love be, and notice what the next verse is, or word is, genuine. And when our love is truly genuine, when it's truly legit, we will, See what it says? Abhor what is evil. 
We will hate what is evil. It doesn't say when love is genuine, you're gonna walk around with warm, fuzzy feelings all the time. I get a kick out of the people who say, well, my God is a, a God only of love. Okay, but, but if that love is genuine, you're gonna start to abhor evil. It will begin to challenge the parts of you that don't line up with his perfection. See, the truth about us is that we all have blind spots. You know that place in the side view mirror of your car on the, on, the, on the highway where you can't see that there's actually a car hurling past you at 90 miles an hour? And if you were to pull over into that lane, you're, you're gonna get crushed. Why? Because you can't see it. It's in, it's in your blind spot. And there are things about your character that, I'm sorry, you simply can't see. And what makes blind spots so dangerous is that you have no idea they exist. Other people can see them, but you can't. And since it's true that we all have them, how important is it to have brothers and sisters around us who are willing to engage us and say, hey man, I'm seeing this thing. And I think it's an issue. The, the most weak, sad, lame excuse for this word love is the type that sees someone walking into danger and says nothing. That's not love. If you're a parent, it is not judgmental or cruel to correct your kids when they're doing something dangerous. Like you don't look at your kids, you know, going onto porn sites or experimenting with drugs and just go, well, I hope it all works out for them. No, you don't say, well, I know that's bad, but look at how happy they are. No, no, no. What makes you a loving parent is to grab them by the shirt and say, if I ever see you doing something stupid like that again, here are the consequences. See, true love looks like a ferocious commitment to another person's well-being because they belong to you and you belong to them. How much would you have to hate somebody to watch them walk their life off the deep end to see them headed for destruction and just say, well, that's their problem, not mine. No, 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 we, we need to challenge and to be challenged. You need outside eyes to look out for those blind spots. Otherwise, you may not even be aware of the danger. See, see there's a big misconception. It says that your faith should be private. Listen. Your faith in Jesus is deeply personal, but it was never meant to be private. Because here's what happens. As your relationship with Jesus becomes more and more private, and you exclude other people from that relationship, you start thinking that whatever you feel peace about, God is good with. Someone shares a verse with you that contradicts what you're doing, and you say, well, yeah, I know that's what it says, but I have a peace about it. God and I are good. Well, well, the Bible also says there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it's destruction. There's another verse that says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And so just because you feel peace in your heart doesn't mean that thing is right. Anyone ever made a financial decision that you felt peace about at the time and you look back and say, well, what a moron I was. Or you got into a relationship that you felt a peace about, even when everyone else was warning you, they're like, bro, she's a psychopath, or girl, he's a player, whatever. When your faith becomes private, your decisions become foolish because you can justify almost anything. You need godly people with outside eyes to challenge you. So many times I've had friends pull me aside after observing a, an interaction or a conversation, and they would say, hey, I think what you just said to that person probably came off as uncaring. Or, or, or Derek, I know you didn't mean it, but your tone was off, and I, and I bet you hurt their feelings. And you know what my first reaction is? Defensive. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm no saint, but after a few minutes, I'll, I'll circle back with that person. You know why? I had a blind spot. I didn't see it. There's something in me that, 
I mean, I'm sorry, sorry, there's a nothing in me that enjoys correction like that. But isn't it amazing that God would love me so much that he would show my friend an inconsistency in my life? What a gift so that I can grow to be more like him. Slowly but surely, a little more, more like Jesus. You need some people in your life who are close enough to speak the honest truth, to challenge you for your own good. So, who are you connected to? Last week we said that the key step to moving forward from church being a crowd to church being a family is devoting yourself to it. It's devotion, taking a step. And today I wanna remind you that in the church you are not just called to believing but to belonging, to experiencing a real connection with other people. Think that, that, that you will find a group of people where you'll know, be known and you'll be supported and you'll be challenged. For us at Grace, we believe that the best chance to find that kind of an environment is in what we call a life group. Now, being in a group doesn't guarantee that that's gonna happen. These groups are only a tool, but it's your best shot, we believe, at having Jesus formed in you. And the beauty of the church is it's a place where everyone can belong and be known. And so, a couple of next steps, and really, they're the same all month. I would just invite you to head over to our website at www.whoisgrace.com slash lifegroups. You can get information there on two things. You can learn more about how to join a life group. You can also get information on how to lead a life group. And for many of you, it's time to take one of those two steps. You weren't created to live the Christian life alone. You were made to be in community. You know, I got invited a, a couple of years ago to a fly fishing trip in Montana with a handful of pastors from around the country. We spent four days together in the middle of nowhere. I caught some really cool fish. and. Even cooler than that was that we lingered at the dinner table for hours and hours of conversation and laughter. One of the interesting components of this place where we stayed was it was staffed uh, exclusively with college-age guys. They were our fishing guides. They were our hiking guides. They were the ones who uh, cooked our food and who clean, cleaned up the place at night and who drove us around during the day. And we got to know and love these guys very much as they served us. And, and we watched them as they loved each other they would wrestle around on the floor, they would pull pranks, they would play cards late into the night, and they would ask great questions and engage deep conversations. It was kind of college guy stuff. And on the last night, as we sat next to, to a fire under the Montana sky, the CEO of this whole kind of operation showed up to chat with us, and he was a, a former pastor, and he was sharing his heart for creating this wide-open, slow-paced, a destination for pastors and other leaders who were running too hard. And he wanted them to come and, and to kind of let their hair down and to, to be filled back up. But one thing he, he said really captured me. He said, do you know why we staff this place exclusively with college guys? He said, because life can be lonely. And he said, for some of you guys around this circle, the last time you had a real friend was in college. He said, so I, I like to remind leaders, especially those who who think relational connection is not possible anymore. He said, I, I wanna remind him what true friendship looks like again. I, I think this is particularly hard for men, but I think all of us as we get older struggle by, you know, by just allowing ourselves to drift into isolation. And I'm stunned at how far we've actually drifted from, from the picture of the church in the New Testament that says that we can know and be known. It says we can love and be loved and trust and be trusted and correct and be corrected and encourage and be encouraged and challenge and be challenged. 
And I just pray that we would recapture a sense of the vision Jesus had for his church, a spiritual family that's connected together at the deepest level. We need each other. We weren't made to walk our faith alone. I love you guys.